Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's kind of been our launching verse in this uh, series, trying to stay right side up in an upside down world. How to do that? 2 Timothy 3, 1 and verse 14. So verse 1 and verse 14 kind of gives us uh, some, some warning Uh, some explanation as to what we can expect. Verse one says, you should know this, Timothy, and we kind of inserted our own church name there. You should know this, Faith Assembly, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Verse 14 says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Things are gonna get difficult. The Bible's already already laid that out there. Um, Things are going to get uh, more difficult. But we've got to remain, remain true to the things that we have been taught. The title of today's message inside of this series, I guess, would be this, um, The Conquerors. I, I'm looking forward to preaching to some conquerors today. Now, here's why I say that. Um, sometimes it's good to be reminded of the fact uh, of how this story ends. Like, it's good every once in a while to go, I may be going through some stuff right now, let me, let me make sure and go to the back of the Bible and see how this thing ends. Can I tell you how this ends? No matter how upside down the world gets, can I tell you how this ends? You win. We win. We conquer. Knowing that, like knowing that will change the way you live. Like, like holding on to that reality. It'll change the way you interact. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your behavior, knowing that you're going to win. Um, I, I saw, a, 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 I mean, a, um, easy for me to say, I saw a, a video that got posted, kind of went viral about maybe a month or a month and a half ago. Here's what happened. There was, there was people on a plane. They were videotaping. A lot of people like to videotape stuff on planes now. Uh, so there's this one guy on the plane, kid, like he's like maybe early 20s or something. And he's sitting directly behind Mike Tyson on the flight. Now, I don't know if this kid had been alive on earth long enough to know <laughs> what Mike Tyson was capable of. But for some reason, the entire time on the flight, he keeps provoking and poking and prodding and uh, uh, just uh, being uh, just uh, aggravating to Mike Tyson, standing over him, saying stuff, pushing the seat back. And so there's somebody else filming it because someone else had enough sense to know that's not a good idea. (laughs) And so they just keep on going and this kid's saying stuff and he's pushing Mike Tyson's chair and he's trying to, oh, you couldn't really make out exactly what he was saying, but it seemed like he was trying to like pick some sort of fight. And listen, Mike Tyson's not um, as young as he used to be, but he still might be the baddest man on the planet. Like, I'm not sure. And so this kid just keeps messing with him. And so as you might expect Mike Tyson to do, he finally gets up, um, unbuckles his seatbelt, gets up out of his seat, and he starts going all Mike Tyson on this guy's head and face. And honestly, most people on the plane were like, this is what needs to happen right now teach this young man a lesson. And so he does that for a while. They kind of get everybody calmed down. The video 
tape, I mean, the guy videoing is still going, and uh, he says, look at me. And so this guy turns around, his face is all bloody and messed up, and uh, still kind of, he seems like almost proud of himself that he's a part of this moment of getting beat up by Mike Tyson, but uh, like I said, I don't know if this kid was just young enough to not know what can happen in that situation, but I'm watching it going, that's one person I would not be provoking on a plane. I know that. This is what they used to say about Mike Tyson when he was a, a professional boxer. I mean, he, he owned the boxing world for, I don't know, probably, I mean, years, maybe a decade, where just nobody, nobody even came close. And this is what they used to say about him when he was at the top of his game in the world of boxing. They would say about him that he won most of his matches before they ever started. They said that as he would walk into the ring, that he, they, would, they would look at the opponent's face and they would go, he's already won this match. <laughs> that he won most of his match, matches not because of his punching power or because of his stamina or because of his uh, skill as a boxer, which he had all of that, but they said that he won most of his matches because of intimidation. It was because he would just show up the victor. He would just show up the conqueror and it would just get in the opponent's head. The opponent would be thinking, there's no way I'm gonna win this match. And so you go into a boxing match thinking, there's no way you're gonna win. There's probably no way you're gonna win. Now here's my question. When the enemy tries to come at you, who are you in the scenario? I hope you're not the one that's cowering down going, there's no way I'm gonna win this match because that will affect the way you fight. I hope you're coming in. If the enemy is sorry enough, is clueless enough to pick a fight with you, mm. I hope you're coming in going, well, uh, you have picked on the wrong person. I hope you're the one doing the intimidating. Because that's, that's who we are. Revelations chapter 12 talks about this, puts this in such a, uh, a great message in a couple of verses here that we're going to focus on today as we think about how we need to be living as conquerors, as overcomers. Verse 10 and 11 of Romans chapter 12 says this, and I heard a loud voice. Let me, let me back up and just say this. John is getting a vision in the book of Revelation of heaven and a lot of uh, things that happen at the end times, a lot of things that happen in the future, and he's uh, a lot of imagery and a lot of uh, really, uh, really, um, I mean, a lot of things that might even be difficult to even figure out. I'm not sure that anybody has got all of Revelation completely pinpointed dogmatically, like this is exactly what it means, but this is kind of in the middle of all of this, and John sees this in this vision, he hears a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Amen. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser, the devil, he is being, he's been thrown down at this point uh, that is to come. Verse 11. And they have conquered him. How? This is important. Like we, we're going to never live as a conqueror if we don't understand what it is that conquers our enemy. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. When you know not only that you can win, but when you know you can't lose, mm, it will affect the way you do life. 
And so even if the world gets even more and more upside down, if that's possible, if, even if more of the world gets upside down, here's our choice. You, you, we can't just be spectators. Here's our choice. We're either going to be overcome by the world or we're going to overcome the world. And so I want to preach to some overcomers today. I want to preach to those that are, no, I'm grounded, I'm growing in my faith. It doesn't matter what happens out there in the world. Because I do feel like this, that maybe as we started this series, maybe somebody was thinking that we were going to talk a lot about um, how upside down the world is. And then we were going to go a news story, a news story, and well, look how upside they are in this area, and look how upside down they are in this area. But here's the thing. Um, they're just going to keep getting more upside down. If, if I was going to preach today on how upside down the world is, by the time the message got over, they'd even be more upside down. It'd be outdated. So instead of preaching about them, I'm saying, let's preach about us, that we're going to be rooted. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court decides. It doesn't matter what our government says. It doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of craziness happens out there. I'm going to be grounded. I'm going to be growing in my faith. I'm going to win. I'm going to be victorious. That's what this is about, is winning. And so we conquer when, uh, as we look at uh, verse 11, we conquer when, and let me, let me bring a couple of truths out, we conquer when we reject the accusation of the enemy. When we reject the accusation, verse 10, it said the accuser of our brothers had been thrown down. And it said that he accused the brothers day and night before our God. Did you know that the name devil literally means accuser? Like that's his number one role is to accuse. The word devil means accuser. The word Satan literally means adversary. If we put those two together, devil, Satan, here's what it is. He comes at us. He fights with, with us by using accusation. The adversary, the accuser. He's going to attack by using accusation. And this happens all the time. Satan will try to accuse you and put a label on you. The reason why he would want to put a label on you is because labels have leverage in our life. My God. It's like even if we know they're not true, they still have leverage in our life. Have you ever been accused of something that I mean it's not even true? It's not a matter of like that you overlook your own faults and like, well, I mean, I don't really think I'm like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting accused of some action or something that you just literally like, it's just, there's no truth at all. There's no basis anywhere. And you get accused of something that you're just like, that is absolutely not even, there's no grounds at all. That's not true. And yet the accusation, even though you know it's untrue, still kind of sits on you. It still kind of, you feel it still. And you can sit there in your head and go, I shouldn't even be thinking about this because like I know, like there have been people who have written stuff about our church that I like physically, literally know like, well, that's just false. And yet it's still that accusation just, boy, it's because labels have leverage and the enemy knows it. And so the adversary is going, how, how can I be an adversary to those people that call themselves Christians, I'll, I'll, I'll throw some labels at them. And so he does. I mean, just I want you to think about, maybe right now, just think about over the last week. I mean, let's do a little practice and just think, what has the enemy whispered in your ear? What label has he tried to put on you, maybe even this week? Because let, let's make a label real quick. We're just going to make a big, a big circle label. Uh, 
and, and the enemy's gonna try to fill this up all the time. That's what he uses. The, he's, a, he, he's an accuser. Does it all the time. Day and night, the Bible said. So I, I, think, I can think of one that he's already probably, I bet some of you that this has been whispered in your ear, I bet today in this service. While somebody was trying to worship, the enemy whispered in your ear, tried to put a label on you and said, sinner. Like, what you, well, you got your hands in the air. I know what you were doing last night. I know what you were doing last weekend. Like, what are, you, what are you trying to act all spiritual now in church? And what's he do? He whispers a label on you, says, sinner. Uh, I, bet he, I bet he puts this one on somebody, condemned. Amen. He, he also put, tries to put a label on me of a bad speller, and I don't claim it in Jesus' name. I won't take it, no. We're not, not going there. Amen. I know the enemy would try to put this on somebody and say, you're just worthless. Like, what's the point? What's the point of come, coming to an altar? What's the point of trying to live for God? You're, you're, you're worthless, or, or the one that's kind of connected to this that he'll put on a lot of you. You're unworthy. You start to go through something, and you start to cry out to God, and the enemy's there whispering in you and say, you're unworthy of his help. You don't deserve his help. I, 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 I see right now the, the world puts this label on the church a lot, hater. You're gonna stand up for some certain portion of truth in the word of God, you're gonna get labeled a hater. And we go, yeah, but I don't hate, I love. And yet, what happens? The label still puts some leverage in my life. Even though I know it's not true. Like, maybe the enemy whispers to you and say, you're just a liar, you're just a fake. Or, I know this one gets thrown at us a lot. Label, the enemy wants to put that label on your life and say, you're a fake, you're a phony. Some of you, Sometimes they're not even all that spiritual. Sometimes the enemy just wants to tell you, no, you're a loner. You go, I'm, but I'm trying to connect. No, you, but you, nobody wants to connect with you. And it's just, a, it's an accusation, accusation, accusation. They just keep coming nonstop. Accusation keeps coming against us. Uncontrollable. Like you're just going to fly, you're just always going to be flying up there. You can't control your angle. You, you can't control your rage. It's just always going to be that way. The enemies try to put this label on somebody's life, abused, because of your past, and you're, just, just, oh, you're always going to be abused. Or, God help us, sometimes that label turns into this label, abuser. And so, I listen, I was tempted today to start just going around the room and say, shout out the label that the enemy tries to put on you, but I, I, I didn't want to do it. Maybe I mentioned your label here, and, and maybe I didn't. The enemy tries to tell you you're selfish. It's all about you. Like, like whatever label the enemy has tried, this is what he uses to battle you. This is what he uses to fight against you. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way, that a lot of the temptation in our life, when we are tempted, the temptation is nothing more than him whispering a label into our heart, into our mind. Matter of fact, watch this, like, like it would be this. Like, sir, you're sitting there by yourself, right? at the computer, and what does the enemy whisper in your ear? Lust, that's who you are. Just go to the website, like, you, you, you're never gonna be overcome this. This is who you are. And temptations, a lot, a lot of times, there's nothing more than just the label being whispered in our, our ear. Matter of fact, sometimes I think what we would, what sometimes the church, what we would label as even generational curse, all it is is we're just taking the labels from our parents and putting them on ourselves and keeping them. 
may not be a, a, a generational curse, like, like in true sense. It's, a lot of times it's just a label that we're leaving on us. And so we have got to make a decision what to do with that accusation. We've got to reject the accusation of the enemy. And how do we do that? By what verse 11 says. It says, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. It's important that, it, that uh, the phrase is there, blood of the lamb. It didn't say by the blood of Jesus Christ. It didn't say by the blood of, of God's one and only son. It said by the blood of the lamb. And it makes me remember and it seems to reference um, the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel are, are in bondage and this is kind of right before they're finally set free out of bondage and this, this Passover night happens where uh, the firstborn are, are, are going to uh, die of plague and Jesus, or God has a plan for the Israelites in this. Um, verse five through seven, let's read that real quick. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish. God's giving instructions to the children of Israel to take a lamb without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Sounds gruesome. Each family now is killing their, the, the, the best lamb that they have at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the house and put it on the lintel of the house, the blood of the lamb. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Watch this, no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I see the blood, it will be a sign that no plague will, will befall you and nothing will destroy you. This is the blood of the lamb in the Passover, and now we see in Revelation, they overcome him by the blood of the lamb. Now here's some, some truths that would, would land in both of these scenarios. First truth would be this, it wasn't just the shedding of blood that gave them protection, but it was when the blood was theirs. It was their lamb that they took. And so Jesus dying on a cross, his shed blood, does not wipe away your accusation. It's when you make his shed blood yours. When you believe on it, that's when it can, has the power to wipe away accusation. It would be like this. Like you, let's say this. Let's say I racked up $50,000 in debt and on my credit card. Now, I didn't, but let's just say for sake, whatever, I got a $50,000 debt on my credit card. Now, let's say at that same time that you have an extra $150,000 in your checking account. Now, just because you have an extra $150,000 in your checking account does not mean my $50,000 debt goes away. The only way my $50,000 debt goes away is if God speaks to you and he says, you need to give Pastor Johnny $50,000. We're gonna take a moment and pray right now and just see what the Lord, and no, I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding, come on. But it's when that $50,000 gets transferred to my account that now it has the chance to erase my debt. So just the shed blood of Jesus is not what happens. It's when the blood becomes your blood by you believing on it and when it's your blood and when it's applied. Because they had blood in a basin, but that was not going to 
that was not what God asked and what God was looking for for the Passover. No, he said you've got to apply the blood on the door. Apply it to where you live. In other words, it's something that you use. It's something that's active. In other words, like some people have like up on a wall, they might have a, a sword or something like that. We were in Toledo, Spain, and they're famous for their swords. And so I felt like I had to buy a sword because I was there on a missions trip years ago. So I came home with a sword. Can I tell you, I never used that sword once. Like I never got in a fight with anybody with that sword. It was just a display. Listen, the blood of Jesus was not meant to be a display. It was meant to be your deliverance. It's something that's active in your life. It's something that you use. And so when it becomes yours, and it becomes something you use, then something happens to these accusations. I like how when John the Baptist first sees uh, Jesus, and he looks over there, and he points to Jesus, and he goes, behold, the Lamb, there it is again, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And so all of those accusations and all of that adversarial junk that got put, all those labels that got put on my life, when I apply and believe on the blood of Jesus, it clears the accusations. I felt real strong that that's gonna happen today for many of you. I mean, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have a chance at the end of this service to have all of those labels that have been affecting the way you live, they're gonna be erased as you believe on and apply the blood of Jesus in your life. We have a chance to reject those accusations. When we conquer, we also reclaim our communication. Because it didn't stop with just they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, but there was another ingredient there. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. Everybody say testimony. Testimony. Yes, testimony. Here's what that means. It's a spoken or written record of any of God's activities in our lives. Let me say it one more time. A testimony is simply this. A written or spoken record of any of God's activities in our lives. That's what a testimony is. Notice what a testimony isn't. A testimony is uh, not an argument. It didn't say they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and their arguing skills. But sometimes the church starts to think that my argument is more powerful than my testimony. It doesn't say that the the testimony is not an aggressive, backhanded comment online. No, you know what? Your testimony is even more powerful than the snarkiest comment, backhanded comment you can make on somebody's account. It's a testimony. It's not a destructive attack. It's a testimony. And so um, I also look back in in the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, The root word that gets translated testimony in the Hebrew is a word that literally carries with it these meanings. Hear this, listen to me. It means um, to repeat, to return, or to do again. Old Testament Hebrew word that gets translated testimony literally means repeat, do again, return. And then all the way fast forward hundreds of years to Revelation 19.10, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's prophecy? It's to speak of things to come. 
A testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Add that with the Old Testament that, where the word testimony means to repeat, to go, do again. Here's what we know about testimonies. When, you, when a testimony is, 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 is shared or, or spoken, it's more than just a cute story. But when a testimony is shared or heard, it's communicating to the person who shared it and to the person that heard it. It's communicating this. God did it before and God will do it again. It's testifying. Every time you share or hear testimony, it's prophesying breakthrough to you because breakthrough happened for them. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that every single testimony has to be on a screen and has to be some big video. No, I'm talking about every time you share. I'm talking about that's why we have these praise cards out in the pews is because we want you to get used to every time God comes through for you, you just get in the habit of saying, you know what, here's how God came through for me this week because when you write it, what that does in your heart, it goes, and I'm prophesying he's gonna do it again for me. Not only am I prophesying that, I'm prophesying he's gonna do it again for somebody else because that's how testimonies work that's why there's power in our testimonies it, it gives us the chance once my label gets cleared a testimony now gives me a chance watch this to fill in the blank if I don't want to leave it clear because guess what happens if I leave it clear more accusations come a testimony gives me a chance to be called something else. Somebody brought to my attention uh, probably about five or six weeks ago that there were some animals currently, they are still there right, right now, there are some animals at the Tampa Zoo that have a unique relationship to, uh, to us. And uh, so here's the thing, there's some rhinos that are currently living at the Tampa Zoo they're a, a unique breed of rhino that is somewhat endangered or something like that. And so the two rhinos that are there uh, that I think are connected to me, you'll hear why, but the male rhino there, his name is, is Johnny. <laughs> my, my name is Johnny. This is from the website there of the Tampa Zoo. It says there are five species of rhinos in the world and, and uh, the one that they're talking about is a unique breed, right? But the second paragraph, Johnny is our male. It even starts to describe Johnny. He's a laid back fellow who likes to get back scratches from the animal care staff. I'm like, I'm a laid back fellow that doesn't mind a back scratch from time to time. But it gets crazier because then it starts to talk about the female rhino, the mama rhino. It says, and uh, Jamie is the name of the mama rhino. Jamie is my wife's name. There are rhinoceroses at the Tampa Zoo named Johnny and Jamie, and they parent little tiny rhinoceroses. And it says about Jamie, Jamie is our headstrong and confident female who is not shy to let Johnny or the animal staff care know how she's feeling. For the sake of a happy marriage, I will not be commenting on that portion of the website. So I'm reading about these rhinos. As a matter of fact, there was a tweet about when they had a, uh, one of the rhino babies. It said, Jamie and Johnny have had their new calf born on Saturday night. She's cute as can be. This will be Jamie's fourth calf and Johnny's first. And I got a problem with that because I don't know about all these other rhino daddies out there. <laughs> We're going to look into that part. All right. 
So I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm like, okay, is somebody trying to like, is somebody trying to insult us? I know I put on a couple pounds, but come on, Rhino? Like, is somebody trying to insult us or is somebody trying to like encourage the rhinos? Like, I'm like, I'm seriously thinking, like, is somebody who works at the Tampa Zoo, did they grow up in this youth ministry or something? And they just thought, I got a good idea. Let's name these things Johnny and Jamie. I don't know what their name used to be. I know what their name is now. And here's my thing. If they're going to carry our name, I have high expectations on them. I expect them to raise godly little rhinos who just walk in the will of God. If they're going to carry our name, then I have some expectations on them. And do you know what name you carry? Mm. You carry the name Christian. You want to talk about the very first label to replace in your life? It's that of Christians. The book of Ephesians says that we should live a life worthy of what we are called. You are called Christian. That is the first kind of testimony that you need to put in your life and put on your label. Look, I am Christian. Matter of fact, some of you, I, this is so basic and so simple, but I really feel like this is for somebody. That somebody should just get up on their social media this afternoon and just simply post, I am Christian. Because just that testimony alone, just putting a different label on it. But what else has God done in your life? And that needs to be a part of your testimony. It needs to be a part of your, your messaging that you're no longer a sinner. Oh, you used to be called a sinner, but no, now you're a saint. Oh, I used to be unloved, but no, I'm not unloved anymore. I am loved. I'm not hateful. No, I'm loving. This is the testimony. When God does something real in your life, oh, I used to, I used to be a deceiver, but no, I'm honest. I'm a person of honesty. And when you share that, like Pastor Jim just did a few moments ago, Amen. he just shared just quickly, briefly, look, this is who I used to be. And that was my old label, Right? Whatever that was, drunk, alcoholic, whatever, whatever the enemy whispers in your ear, you know, no, 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 I'm spirit controlled now. I'm not, I'm not out, of, out of the flesh. For, for me, I'm, I'm a good speller now. Like that's my testimony, amen. No, I used to be, I used to be unforgiving. I used to hold grudges, but now I'm forgiving. Well, how about this? Now I'm forgiven. This is, uh, this is your testimony. And there's, oh, there's power. There's power in you sharing who you are now. Why? Because labels have leverage. And if you'll start to share who you are, if you'll start to share what Christ has done in your life, what Christ is doing, what Christ is making you to be, when you start to share that, it, I don't know, kind of makes you walk different. Kind of makes, you, makes your attitude different. The importance of labels, the importance of reclaiming my communication of who I am because of Christ. That's how we overcome the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, but there's one more piece of it. And to be honest, it's a piece that doesn't get quoted as often. It's a, it's a part that doesn't get sang about as much. Like we sang that incredible song a few moments ago because we knew we were going to be speaking on this. And, and so we, we sang that part and it said, We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we didn't include this last next part. But the next part of that 
said they, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of his testimony, and that they didn't love their lives even unto death. For us to be overcomers, there's also got to be a reorganization of our affections. Because what you love matters. And the Bible talks of those that overcome the enemy. That yes, they believe in and apply the blood of Jesus. And yes, they share a new story and a new testimony and a new label. But they also, they don't love their lives even if it means unto death. In other words, they're saying this, Jesus, I love you more than I love life itself. And that's an important statement for us to make. And because we, we, we have to remember the way it started out for those early apostles and disciples. Most of them died martyrs. All of them suffered persecution. Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down, that Paul was beheaded for his faith. Andrew, after being ordered by the Roman government to stop preaching or face execution, he reportedly told the Romans this. He said, I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I had feared the death of the cross. This was what it was like, especially, especially uh, it got especially bad around the end of the 200s and the beginning of the 300s. Roman emperors at that point made absolute sport of Christians. Death was not even considered strong enough punishment for Christians during this, during this time. Christians were subjected to the cruelest treatment possible. They were whipped. They were disemboweled. They were torn apart, stoned. Plates of hot iron would be laid upon their bodies. They would be strangled and eaten by wild animals in the middle of an arena for, for entertainment. They would be hung, tossed down alive onto the horns of bulls to be, to be murdered. And after they were dead, their bodies, Christians' bodies would just be piled up in heaps to rot without a burial. And in the midst of this incredible persecution, it's hard to even fathom, but hear me on this, in the midst of that, the church grew. Are you kidding me? Like, how does that even happen? Because they were overcoming the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they didn't love their life even unto death. See, a lot of churches have made the mistake across the world, and sometimes inadvertently. We might have been guilty of it. Who knows? Of, of, of communicating and saying, we, we want to grow as a church. We want to reach more people. And so sometimes in that we go, hey, if you come to Christ, everything will be better. Your needs will be met and you'll be happy. So just come to Christ. Thing is, the Bible doesn't really promise that. It promises that no matter what we go through, he's gonna give us the grace and strength to go through it. He's gonna be right there with us. And maybe in our day and age, maybe the, maybe the fear of death, maybe the world's hatred of us is going to be more of a threat to us in our lifetimes more of a challenge to our faith than even violence. Can I say that one more time? Because I think it's where we are. That the hatred of the world is now our challenge. Because we want to be loved and we want to be accepted. And we want to fit in. It's just part of like human nature. So the world's hatred of us now is the greater challenge to our faith than even our faith. 
Because the church, you and Christians being ridiculed, ostracized, demeaned, marginalized to the point that though we know the power of the blood of Jesus and we know the power of our testimony, we're tempted to shrink back. We're tempted to water down the word so that we're still loved by the world. We're tempted to even be divided in our devotion if it'll mean we're accepted by the world. 1 John chapter 2 says, do not love the world or the things it offers you. No, we've got to be so, so in love with Jesus that even if it means we lose some of the comforts of life, I'll say it this way, even if it, we may, even if it means we lose our life, do you realize this? That even if we die for our faith, we win. Yes. Do you realize that? I mean, do you believe that though? First John chapter two, that's why we don't love the world. We don't love the things the world has to offer us. No, because even if we die, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's even greater gain. This is how we live as overcomers. To see our accusation just erased. To put in its place a testimony of what God has done in my life. And that I don't love my life even unto death. And with those things being preached today, somebody in this room is going, I don't know if I'm meant to be a conqueror. Like, I don't feel like a conqueror. I don't know if I'm meant to be an overcomer. I don't know what to do with that sense that I don't know if that's what I'm meant to be a conqueror. And here's what I would say. If you're struggling with that question, am I meant to be a conqueror? Here's my answer. No. Maybe you're not. Matter of fact, the, the Word of God backs me up on this. In the book of Romans, it says that you're not meant to be a conqueror. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You're not meant to be a conqueror, you're meant to be more than a conqueror. And when you see your life that way, oh, it'll affect the way you walk into the ring. It'll affect the way you walk into a battle knowing that you win, that you cannot lose. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.